the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into our 2602508-0960. They just lie and lie and lie. What I don't know is whether they know they are lying or whether they know we know they are lying. We in this house, you see, believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. You seen those signs in front of houses? None of it is true. They believe black lives matter so long as the black person's death is not at the hands of another black person, which is the vast majority of black homicides, or if the black life is in gestation. They believe women's rights are human rights so long as the women do not live in Gaza or Iran or the Palestinian Authority or in Africa or in Afghanistan or Assyria, or the woman's life is in gestation. They believe science is real unless it is science they don't like, like psychotropic drugs being harmful to brains and lives, especially of our youth, or mask and vaccine hysteria that has long been refuted, or mental health health outcomes based on that hysteria, or school closings. And they certainly believe every human is legal, so long as that human being, so long as that human being isn't in Martha's Vineyard or outside of Kamala Harris's house. The White House today is hosting a conference on hate and racism. Opening the conference, our Vice President Kamala Harris said this, quote, In 2020, hate crimes in the United States surged to the highest rate in over a decade, close quote. That is actually and simply untrue. But it does fix the problem on Donald Trump's administration, doesn't it? Putting it in 2020. So we care about racism and crime in America so long as we can politicize it or make it about Republicans. Not racism or crime, actually, just racism or crime under Republicans. Here are the facts. Quoting from the Voice of America, which is owned by the U.S. government, which means Biden and Harris's government. Quoting. Reporting reveals a double-digit spike in hate crimes last year, 2021, and a continued rise into 2022 with incidents targeting Asian and Jewish Americans accounting for the bulk of the increase. On average, bias-motivated incidents in 37 major U.S. cities increased by nearly 39% with the 10 largest metropolitan areas reporting a record increase of 54.5%, close quote. It's about 2021, not 2020. By the way, you know those 10 largest metropolitan areas, don't you? Run and wholly owned subsidiaries of Kamala Harris's party. And you know the year 2021, last year, the year Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were president and vice president, The administration ushered in to heal and calm our hate and crime and hate and violence, right? Worse 
than 2020, but she will not tell you that. That she puts through the memory hole. Why? In order to politicize and frankly profanate the real harm and hurt and crime of racism. So you have a sociopath lying to garner sympathy. And for what end? To substantiate her own power and to run down her country and countrymen. Does she care about any of that? Or the real rise in racial and ethnic hate crimes regarding Jews and Asians? Little will be said about those groups at the White House today, especially with Al Sharpton invited there. And I am the and, and I have to ask, am I the only person in America that finds all of this so treacly coming as it does from a person, Kamala Harris, who leveraged lies about her history and Joe Biden's racism in her primary against him? Again, for political purposes, her own, all complete with a pian to busing which she was all in favor of for a political point against Joe Biden in 2019, but evidently now is against when Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott do it. So it's hard to take seriously all which should be taken seriously when we are lied to about it and the meritorious claims are nothing more than a bonfire of the vanities shaped and formed by knaves to make a trap for fools. Want an example? Vice President Harris concluded her remarks today saying, quote, we must clearly say that a harm against any one of us is a harm against all of us, close quote. Must we all say that? Why must we all say that? It is such a worn out bromide that has been used and used and used, but only once it is first poured through the sifter of preferred and non-preferred groups and ideologies or censored so that it has become a burlesque of a cheap talking point that is hard to take seriously by almost anyone who says it anymore. I think there was about a 1 in 331 million chance I'd have been invited to speak at this event at the White House today, just as there would have been a 1 in 331 million chance for Larry Elder or Zudi Jasser. But if I were invited there, this is what I would say. I look around the world and I ask the question Daniel Moynihan once asked. Is America an imperfect place? You bet. But find me a better one. And I think that's the point many here today miss. Michael Novak put it that to know oneself is to disbelieve utopia. What did he mean? And what was he getting at? Sure, of course, many of us would like to live in a perfect place, but we know places are steered by, governed by, fellow human beings. And fellow humans are fallible, imperfect. We are not angels, as James Madison put it. And if we're being honest with ourselves, no matter how good we are, no matter how strong our self-esteem, we know we individually are also imperfect. Now, translate those imperfect translate those imperfections across the universe of people and you know quite quickly that utopia is totally impossible. So the mature way to look at things is the way Moynihan did. I am not embarrassed to live in or speak up on behalf of a less than perfect country, nor am I embarrassed to live in or speak up on behalf of or honor a less than perfect country that is the best there is and that millions of Americans before me have given their lives to defend. And we're a little empty on standing up for this country, which has done more to improve the lives 
more people of whatever race, irrespective of race, than in any part of any history in this world. Which is why Venezuelans are at your front door in Washington, D.C., against your wish and against your will. And we seem a little full on sitting down for this country, literally refusing to stand up for it because of misplaced and biased and corrupt understandings of everything from our history to our politics. Well, I won't sit down or kneel on behalf of such a place as America or apologize for it. My grandfather moved here from Russia at the turn of the 19th century. He fled Russia because he knew what tyranny and anti-Semitism really was. He knew what he faced from Cossacks and Tsarist militants and decided to move to the place that proclaimed all here were equal. He braved the uprooting of his life, moved here, and then fought on behalf of America by going back to Europe in an American uniform in World War I. My dad, his son, was born here. He faced what he called a lot of anti-Semitism, and he lied about his age so that he, too, could wear the uniform of this country and go abroad to fight for it and humanity in World War II. And he did. Did he face a little anti-Semitism in the Army Air Corps? You bet. Did he blame America or the majority of Americans for it? Not one whit. He gave or would have given the same answer Joe Lewis, the boxer, would give when he was asked how he could fight for the United States in World War II when his own country was discriminatory. You know what Joe Lewis said? He said, quote, with all the problems the United States has, I know Hitler won't make them any better. There ain't nothing wrong with America that Hitler can fix, close quote. These were young and yet mature men that knew if the country was racist or bigoted or anti-Semitic in any way, they would not be able to thrive in it. They knew that pockets of racism or bigotry were aberrations, not the crux and DNA of this country. They would not kneel or take a knee or apologize for America. They fought for it. And I will not kneel or take a knee or apologize for America either, even though, yeah, too, I have experienced aberrational bigotry as a young boy here and a little bit as an older adult. But the task here is to never make the aberration the norm. The asterisk is never the essay. The footnote should be taught, of course, but it's not the book. Do you know the story of Ruby Bridges? It's a pregnant one, full of so much meaning. She's the little black girl Norman Rockwell painted, being escorted to her desegregated school in Louisiana, escorted by federal marshals. The federal marshals were sent in by Dwight Eisenhower. So don't tell me, by the way, like they tried to tell Donald Trump, a president can't send in federal troops to enforce the law. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden said that about Donald Trump during the riots of 2020. He had no power to do so. Tell it to Eisenhower. Tell it to Ruby Bridges. Anyway, Ruby Bridges, six years old, dressed for school and every day was pelted and shouted at as the armed U.S. Marshals escorted her to her school. She said every day as she walked to school and back home, that she said a prayer. Her prayer was this, quote, please, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, close quote. Did she hate this country? Was she taught to hate this country? Did she think her country was racist? She did not. She thought some lousy aberrants and exceptions were doing things to her because they did not know what they were doing. Six years old. I wish more of us were as sophisticated now 
as she was at age six. Did I get refused jobs because of my background? I know I did. Did I think my country was bigoted as a result? Not once. Do I kind of weep and die a little bit every time I see Louis Farrakhan or his Nation of Islam venerated in memorials, speeches, marches, or moments supposedly dedicated to civil rights? He who calls Jews vermin and worse? You bet I do. Do I think my country bigoted and racist and refuse to stand up to honor it because of that? I do not. Do I care that one of the greatest fomenters of racial strife, Al Sharpton, was invited to the White House today? Only so much as it highlights the unseriousness of this White House on this issue they are gaslighting us on. Do I lament too many African Americans harbor bigotry against Jews in their community? You bet. Does it make me think ill of African Americans? Of course not. Did I learn about Martin Luther King at a young age? I did. Did it inform me so much that when his holiday was canceled in our state, I led a protest my senior year in high school that led the principal to threaten me with not graduating? You bet. Did he say bigoted things to me? Not about my skin color, but my race, religion? Yes, he did. Was it worth it? Yes, it was. Did I think my school racist or bigoted because that principal said nasty and bigoted things to me? No, I did not. I knew he knew not what he was speaking of and that he was the aberrant one, not me. That is why I will never take a knee for or kneel on behalf of or apologize for my country. Did I understand what Bobby Kennedy meant when he told a large gathering of black people not to hate white people because a white man killed Martin Luther King? You bet I did. Because Bobby Kennedy pointed out that a white man killed his brother, too. And it wasn't because of the perpetrator's skin color. It was because of the hate or animus in his mind and soul. Did I understand not to hate all people of Arab descent because a Palestinian committing the first act of Arab terrorism killed Bobby Kennedy? You bet I did. I learned to hate terrorism. I never learned to hate all Arab people, and neither did this country. You know why? Because we humans were given a gift, a gift of discernment to know how to sting distinguish between good and bad, evil and decent, violent and peaceful. We know how to distinguish between Hitler and Churchill. We know how to distinguish between Thomas Sowell and Louis Farrakhan. We know how to distinguish between America and China, or we used to. I still do. That is why I won't kneel. I won't apologize. And I won't buy the fool's gold Kamala Harris is trying to sell us. I will celebrate and always stand for a country whose founders said things like, quote, I believe in the equality of man, and I believe that religious duties consist in doing justice, loving mercy, and endeavoring to make our fellow creatures happy. That was Thomas Paine. I will celebrate and always stand for a country whose founders said things like, quote, slavery is such an atrocious debasement of human nature that its very extirpation, if not performed with solicitous care, may sometimes open a source of serious evils, close quote. That was Benjamin Franklin. I will celebrate and always stand for a country whose founders said things like, quote, there can be no truer principle than this, that every individual of the community at large has an equal right to the protection of government. That was Alexander Hamilton. I'll, I'll celebrate and always stand for a country whose founders said things like, quote, all possess alike liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. It is not now more that toleration should be spoken of as if it was by the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights. For the government of the United States gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance. That was George Washington. 
I will always stand for and I will never kneel in front of or on the soil of a country that uniquely went to war against itself, shedding the lives of hundreds of thousands of our own countrymen for one purpose, to end slavery. I will always stand for and never kneel in front of or on the soil of a country whose battle hymn of the Republic carries the lyrics, as he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free, which is what those hundreds of thousands who extirpated slavery here sang as they marched to war and death. I will always stand for and I will never kneel in front of or on the soil of a country that liberated the rest of the world from the true and mass bigotry and racism that would burn out all the moral lights. I will always stand for and I will never kneel in front of or on the soil of or apologize for a less than perfect country. I myself know I am imperfect. I myself know there is no greater, more non-racist, more non-bigoted, more enlightened country in the world, a country that has given refuge, relief, and rights to more people than any other in any part of the world or its history. In short, I will not be forced to hate this place or my fellow countrymen. I will love it, and I will love them. And those who know not what they do, I'll pray for them. And if they let their minds move their arms in antithetical directions to violence, I'll work to see the law applies to them. That's America to me. Martin Luther King called this country and her founding beautiful and magnificent. I do, too. I think it's just not too much for leaders of and in this country to speak on behalf of it and its countrymen and not to continually and routinely condemn it or them. Anyway, that's what I'd say if I were invited to the conference at the White House today. I'm Seth. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're on hold, we'll get to you in just a moment. Don't go away. Portions of this show are brought to you by my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends. They're great people, and they are offering a remarkable investment opportunity. They're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure collateralized portfolio. A due diligence approved firm, Y-Refi is a bunch of investors who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be part of that. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. This is great. Gavin Newsom uh, is tweeting out and sent a, uh, a letter. Quote, what Governor Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are doing isn't clever, it's cruel. I'm formally requesting the DOJ begin an immediate investigation into these inhumane efforts to use kids as political pawns. As Noah Pollock put it, he's not just requesting, he's formally requesting. It says right there in the Constitution that governors can trigger federal DOJ investigations of other governors if they request it formally. You make an informal request, it'll get ignored. Okay, Ron and Greg, you know what to do. Sacramento, baby. That should be the next destination. Sacramento. See how much longer then Governor Newsom wants to keep his state capital a sanctuary, excuse me, nullification city and state. Your call's coming right up. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Keith holding down the Atlanta chapter. How are you, Keith? I'm doing well, Seth. You really teed it up with what I wanted to talk about. Oh, good. With 
Gavin Newsom. Good. But you know what? Before he does it to Gavin Newsom, do you remember, and I cannot find the video, do you remember a few years ago when Nancy Pelosi said in front of the camera, she said, I wish I could take them all. Remember that? Uh, yes, I think that's right. I think that's right. Would that have been the same video in which she said, I don't know why there aren't riots all over this country? I think it was. I think it had to do with immigration. I really do. I think that I don't would. remember that that part about the riots, but, but yeah, I, I think it was said, part of that same thing. I think in any event, Keith, I remember the quote. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. She was so pious and sweet and said, I wish I could take them all. Well, you know. They ought to deliver them to her address and see what she has to say after that. Because she's a real funny woman when when it comes direct to her. She's a real nasty person. Well, I mean, you know, it's a funny thing. We've been saying, Keith, for years to people who want um, our border policy to remain unenforced. Isn't it interesting that so many of you who don't like gates and walls and law enforcement and uh, people with arms – Uh, live in gated communities uh, behind security walls, uh, usually protected uh, by um, men with guns on their hips. Um, Isn't it interesting? So what Abbott and DeSantis did yesterday, last night, today, what they did was they said, "Okay, let's test your thesis. You want to be a sanctuary city? You want us to have to live with it? Let us give you a small, small teaspoon in a lake of what we're swimming in. And boy, what did they do? They called it a humanitarian crisis. Martha's Vineyard Chamber of Congress, Commerce, 50 people, humanitarian crisis. Well, as John McClain said in Die Hard, welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. You, you know what? What's the best part is you were, you were going on the, um, your talk about how the lies, the big lies and and comparing how the Democrats are are filled with lies. You know what the best part about it is, is they're just following their um one of their leaders, Saul Alinsky, you know, and and he dedicated his book to the, the father of lies, Lucifer. And th- that's truly what the Democrat Party is. They're demonic rats is what their real name is. They're just a party of Satan. And anyone who wants to play with the play with that party and vote for him. You're voting for your ultimate demise, and and the de- and the Democrats, if they ever get total control of the country, they'll not only turn on the on they'll turn on the Republican people, no doubt, but they'll even turn on the people who vote Democrat that they have had in their back pocket for years, and they'll eventually turn on themselves. They're a party of hate. They're a party of destruction. It's just a natural way of uh, of doing things for them. They're, they're they're very deceptive. They're filled with hate. They're just doing what they're born to do. And they cannot stand it when we hold up the mirror. Again, Yep. speaking of Saul Alinsky, rules for radicals. Rule number four, make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. That's all we did. And we didn't even give him the whole book. We gave him one page in a 2,500-page novel. We gave him one page, and they melted. By the way, Keith, um, kind of interesting I, uh, I, as you were talking, I was looking for that Nancy Pelosi quote, and I have something from 2014 where Nancy Pelosi says that invasion is the wrong term. This is a community with a border going through it. It's an opportunity, 
not a crisis. Guess what? Attendant to that story, kind of what you said, is a box for a video, video taken down, video unavailable. Funny how that works. Funny how the 1984 Orwell memory hole applies in 2014 at SEC, huh? Yeah, I'm not. It's an not, opportunity. Not it's an opportunity. Not surprised with how, what direction that party wants to take this country. Yep. The point of no return. Yep. That's their plan. Yes, sir. Well, let's stop it and be the real progressives of C.S. Lewis to find them. C.S. Lewis, how did he put it, Bill? He said the real progressive is the man who realizes he's on the wrong road and turns around first. That's a real progressive. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm getting a lot of inquiries about the various initiatives and referenda that also are coming up on our November ballot uh, beyond the candidacies and the candidates themselves for the offices. And uh, this is one you need to know about. Um, Yeah, this is an important one. And I am delighted to bring Amber Russo to the show, uh, spokeswoman for Protect Our Arizona. Amber, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I usually um, do. I usually do this with first-time guests. Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself uh, and how you came to be doing what you're doing, and what Protect Our Arizona is organized to fight for. Sure. Uh, so again, my name is Amber Russo. I'm a small business owner in Tucson. Um, I work in the financial industry, and. Once we knew that this ballot initiative was sort of out, like, circulating out there, um, we did form a pack of uh, interested parties to uh, protect our Arizona uh, about February of 22. So for the last, you know, over six months, we've been the opposition to the Healthcare Rising Committee that is supporting um, what is called the Predatory Debt Collection Protection Act. Okay. Um, Tell us what the Predatory Debt Collection Protection Act would do and why we need to oppose it. Sure. So what it purports to do is protect folks from, you know, predatory debt collection practices and more specifically um, limit collection of medical debt. So a lot of times they're chatting about how, you know, Arizonans should not feel um, overwhelmed by their medical bills. Right. However, that is just a real misleading both title and sort of, you know, message of this act. What it will in fact do is restrict collection on all debt in the state of Arizona. So any creditors that use, um, you know, judgment remedies to, you know, resolve past due debts will be almost, they're going to be restricted so much that that Arizona is going to have a, a, an impact on their financial ecosystem mm-hmm. because, you know, if you can't collect, how can you lend? And how will money be affordable? You know, we're all going to be paying higher interest rates. 
I was ju- uh, yeah, I was going to I was going to ask I was going to ask if this would not only affect interest rates but also even perhaps the ability to get credit in the first place perhaps. In fact it will. So for example, what this would do is make any person making less than $51,000 a year and I'm going to say approximately because it's actually based off of your um, your net income but, okay. but we've kind of, you know, worked it backwards. Sure. So assuming there's a person that makes less than $51,000 a year, there are no um, remedies for creditors to get their money back. Okay. Legal remedies, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so, and so what happens is for that group of consumer, the, it'll be very difficult for them to get an auto loan oh. or, you know, like I said, access to really any credit because if I can't, if I have no way to collect from those that have defaulted on me, I will then not be able to lend to that group of consumer. And Ma- then makes total you know, sense. Like you I turn the spigot off, I right? It. You turn the spigot off for those people that need to use credit as an instrument or credit debt as an instrument, perhaps, right? It just turns that spigot off because there will be no other side to that equation on behalf of and to support the person lending that money. Am I am I kind of picking up what you're putting down here? Exactly right. And look at where the economy is right now yeah. and what this will do to, um, you know, our community. Because, and again, and then now, right, I, I mean, I sort of mentioned this, but for those of us that are responsible and are um, paying our bills and things like that, well, if the lenders will have to adjust their models and charge me higher rates. That's right. That's right. Because, so, because they can't go out of business, it's going to be the responsible people who this will fall upon, right? Yes, yes. Um, you know, things like the homestead exemption, uh, which is you know the amount of home value that you can protect sort of under um, the homestead, you know, it's going from $250,000 to $400,000. Mm-hmm. That's just such an enormous increase that allows people to, you know, just protect that kind of value and not have to pay their bill. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, one so, of the so things... So yes, you thing- understand why it's so important, and I again, I appreciate... Oh, yeah, no, uh, I'm getting it immediately. I'm, I'm getting it immediately. This will be the hardest on those least able to uh, least able to afford it because they are the ones most in need of access to credit and using debt as an instrument. I, I, I'm familiar with a lot of terrible propositions that come to Arizona or afflict Arizona, and a lot of them are funded by outside interests. A lot of them are funded by out-of-state interests. I'm guessing California has its has its hands in this, or at least people in California. Is this one of those kinds of initiatives that's kind of being foisted on Arizonans? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a California driven there you go. initiative. Yeah. It is it's um the group is SEIU, mm-hmm. which is a California union. Oh yeah. Um they have they've put over seven million dollars into getting this passed yeah. in Arizona. And here's the thing. You know, they've tried it before. They came in um you know, I a few cycles ago and tried to, you know, do some minimum wage changes for uh, Arizona healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. But again, it's all political agenda. Yeah. It's all, I just want my California politics to, you know, funnel, you know, kind of feed into Arizona, right? Yep. And whether that's voter mobilization or whatever it is, 
this is not Arizonans making decisions for Arizona. That's right. That's right. And we're sitting ducks because we have this thing called the Voter Protection Act, which makes it darn near impossible to change once we do pass an initiative. So I guess I would summarize maybe, Amber, uh, by saying if you if you want to help keep Arizona from becoming California, if you want to stop the Californiaization of Arizona, vote against the Predatory Debt Collection Protection Act. Yes. Correct. Vote no on Prop 209. Okay. Um, if you are able to help or you want more information, you can email me at info at protectouraz.com. Um, and we also have a website, protectouraz.com. I'll give that out one more time, protectouraz.com, protectouraz.com, R being you are Amber great down payment uh, on this uh, with you so to speak if you'll pardon the pun um, thank you for joining us uh, as we get closer to November we'll have you back uh, to give us an update and to talk more about it as well but I wanted to lay this out today I wanted to thank you for your time and thank you for your effort on doing this too thank you I appreciate you thank you very much absolutely thank you Amber I'm Seth Liebson we will be right back Portions of this show brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. It's a great company. I use them. My friends use them. They all say the same thing. Yeah, they're great over there. From the customer service to the end result of why you're calling them, you're going to like Cool Touch. It's just different there, and you'll notice it. Chris Funk has a great team. If you have air conditioning, plumbing issues, 24-7, they're available to you. CoolTouch.us is their website, CoolTouch.us. You can give them a call at 623-748-4942. That's 623-748-4942. Just, just a final note on what I was talking about with Amber, uh, and we'll have more and more conversations about the other ballot initiatives that you'll be facing this November uh, we in Arizona are sitting ducks in a way no other state is. No other state has voter protection uh, for its initiatives the way we do, which means anyone from out of state, anyone from in-state, but what we're worried about is the Californiaization of Arizona. And a lot of these initiatives come from California financiers and Soros types. Um, anyone from out of state can fund an initiative in Arizona, and if it passes – well, first of all, understand once they do that, it forces another coalition of businesses or other interested parties to raise a lot of money to fight it at the ballot box. And if we don't fight, fight it and prevail, it's darn near impossible to change. We have it pretty much forever unless we get supermajority in the state and House and Senate with the governor. And you need a supermajority, which is a darn near thing to get. And the other only option, the only other option is to have another initiative to run against it, which causes, you know, again, community members, businesses to raise millions and millions of dollars to do and run another initiative to reverse the first one. So be very, very, very cautious and careful when you vote for these initiatives, even if you think, well, it sounds like it might be a good idea, even if you think that it sounds like it might be. Keep in mind, your Temporary ambivalence in the positive direction is permanent, effectively permanent. 
And that's why you need to be aware of these initiatives. And we'll focus on the other ones as well, as I promised. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dave Raboy coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.